I'm Celine Williams, and welcome to the Leading Through Crisis podcast, a conversation series exploring resiliency and leadership in challenging times. My guest today is David Knorr, who is a senior leadership advisor, educator, and executive coach, and the author of the recently released book, Curve Benders. David, I'm very, I love it. Very excited to have you on today. It's great to be with you. Um, first of all, as anyone who watches or listens to this knows, uh, we always do a little bit of a pre-chat and you are very entertaining and energetic. So I'm really excited to get into all of this with you because you you have an amazing energy. And I need more friends like you in my life. <laughs> are you available? Can we go on a road show? Can we Anytime. take this podcast on the road? Let's 100%. go. hundred <laughs> um, percent. That would be my dream. Um, so I always like to start with sort of the big, broad question before we get into your areas of specialty, and I know there are a lot of them, but when you hear the the idea of leading through crisis, which is what this podcast is about, right, leading through change, what comes to mind for you when you hear that? I often think about elasticity. And if you, if you think about that idea, right, let's just take for your, for your listeners a, a rubber band, right? So you, you, if you pull it back, you're stretching, you're anticipating. Much more importantly, you accelerate going through that rough spot. And, mm -hmm. and ideally, you're stronger for it on the other side. So this global pandemic and, and you know, other challenges, other obstacles, other disruptions that most of your listeners face, it will pass your success through it and what is going to delineate your ability to not just survive, but thrive through it. And that's the real opportunity is what did you learn? My biggest fear through this whole thing is we don't learn anything. And we keep going back to a lot of the dysfunction that we had before in our lives, like hour and a half commutes into the office, like on the road, several hundred days a year. Are you kidding me? We've learned through this grand experiment of let's send 100 million people to work from home, that it's surprisingly worked really well the last 14 months. And we figured out how to be productive. We figured out as knowledge workers that I don't have to show up with physical proximity to get things done. Mm. So this idea of learning from a crisis and, and that elasticity to make us stronger on the other side has a lot to do with that growth mindset going into it the ability to, you don't, you don't, none of us have a crystal ball. So how can we plan? Yeah. And much more importantly, what were your learning moments that you feel like you're better off because of beyond the lives and the livelihoods, because of that crisis, you're stronger, you're wiser, you're more capable of facing the next one. I, I, so first of all, I really, appreciate the shift into learning from a crisis because I think that is often the opportunity of of leading through it is the learning that comes from it and it also makes me think one of the things that I keep hearing and I'm sure you have as well is that people can't relate can't relate can't wait to return to normal we can't wait to return to what was so great about normal and and, and I actually you're exactly right and I push back there's no going back at the Great. risk of never being invited back, right? <laughs> there's, no, there's no going back. We only go forward, right? Yeah. We move forward. So, and I believe words matter. So stop talking about getting back to, and let's talk about moving forward. So to build on that, I actually believe a lot of leaders right now are thinking about getting back to work completely wrong. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because most of the most of the conversation you and I hear is should we come in the office two days a week or three days a week? Who cares? Instead, what if we reimagined? What if we rethink? What if we reinvent that job? Because we figured out that we could do it for most of us as knowledge workers. We could do it from anywhere. Now it's difficult to you know, manufacture, right? It's difficult to do some of these jobs where you need to be in physical proximity. But let's bring a whole bunch of people into an office to do what? Just stare at each other? And if you, if you I'm, I'm happy to dissect any and every part of what we used to do from interviewing to hiring to onboarding to, you know, performance reviews to, you know, promoting people to celebrating. A lot of it was the pre-pandemic kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. 14 months plus later, we better figure out how to adapt, how to embrace a new approach to, and this is, a, by the way, a very good example, very quick example for your audience. Do you care about outcomes or output? Because output is what you do and how you do it. It's often a means to an end because the outcome is really what matters. So if you measure the outcome, if you compensate the outcome, if you focus on the outcome, do you really care when and where and how the output is done? Because I like my wife I, and I'd really like to go have lunch with her and maybe take the dogs for a walk in the afternoon, but I'll come back to email after the kids go to bed, yeah. right? And I'd love to right, be there if my kid is in fact going to school. I'd like to be there for them when they leave in the morning. Let's have breakfast together and be home when they come home and hug them and have a snack with them, but I'll get the work done. So I think rethinking, reimagining, reinventing work is a huge opportunity for us to create. And what I wrote in Curve Vendors, this idea of work-life blending that I think would be a lot more valuable than the struggle of the work-life balance that we all try to accomplish or achieve. Well, I, I don't think work-life balance has ever been a real thing. I think it's been a hilarious illusion and a lot of really pretty language about finding something that's not real. And I do think that, especially for knowledge workers, you know, work-life bl- uh, bl- blending is really the, it's how you have to think about it. It's how you have to think about where you're putting your time and energy. And it's, it's as much as the pandemic has been challenging, and I'm not saying it hasn't, it's also given us an actual opportunity and forced us into a position where everyone can rethink this. Not just a few people who are at the forefront of rethinking work going, hey, we don't all have to, we should have options. People should be able to choose how they work and when. Hey, hey, listen to us. Now everyone is in a position where they've seen it work a different way. You're exactly right. And, and, I, and I go back to your overarching theme of leading through a crisis. The best leaders I know are the holistic ones. They bring the best version of themselves to what they do, how they do it, and particularly going into a crisis and coming out of it stronger, as I alluded to, you need that holistic you. I, I don't know about you or your audience. I've certainly felt this way. While I'm on vacation, I'm thinking about all the damn emails that are piling up. Of course. And while I'm working, I'm like, I really rather would be on vacation, <laughs> right? So there's just this constant pull and tug at us all the time versus, you know what? I, I, I ride for your audience. I ride motorcycles. And my, my favorite is long distance. So in the States, we've got the Route 66, which is just historic. And it goes from Chicago 
right? All the way to Santa Monica Pier. It, it is like so iconic. And you're not going to see it flying over it. You're not going to see it driving the main highway. So a couple of years ago, I decided to take my motorcycle and it's about 4,000 miles. So I live in Atlanta, Atlanta, Chicago, Chicago, Santa Monica Pier. It took me about a week. But you know what? I took my laptop with me. It was in the trunk of my bike. And when you put in the earplugs and you put in the headsets, nobody's calling. Nobody wants to have a Zoom meeting and you can disengage. And yet when I got to the hotel and showered and cleaned up and ate and I got the laptop and I checked email and I responded to people. And so I'm, I'm reminded that a mentor, and, and I do believe we're all products of the advice we take. Mm -hmm. A mentor drove into me. You don't have a work life and a personal life. You have one life. So the sooner you can figure out how to integrate, how to blend those two, I think the more competent, capable leader, manager, human being you're going to become. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that you're the product of the advice you take. I think that's a really, I think that's a more important for people to realize than they think. Um, because I think a lot of us hear advice and just go, Oh, that's it's like reading a book, right? I always joke like the number of books you read where you're like, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe I'll do something about that one day and then nothing happens. So two two other <laughs> pieces of wisdom come to mind. Uh, I've, I'm pretty sure I've checked the calendar and someday is not one of the seven. <laughs> right? That's number one. Number two, yeah. again, I, 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 another mentor drove into me, throw away your stopwatch and get a compass. And I got to tell you, first time I heard that, I was like, wait, what? And what it was conveying is it doesn't matter how fast you do something, especially for some of those alpha males and females, right? We want to get going. I got to get done. Let's go. I got to do things. I, you know, and it's like, okay, just throw away the stopwatch and get a comp. Are you headed in the right direction? Because if not, your ultimate destination is also going to be skewed. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really surprised through this pandemic, how few people actually have a compass. Where are you going? What does that look like? I think it got recalibrated, right? Through the, we, we figured out what we like. I, I like spending time with my family. I like staying home. And pre-pandemic, pre I would just excuse that, hey, some people got in a car to go to work. I get an airplane to go to work. Mm -hmm. And 208 days on the road wears on you, right? And you wake up in a city and you're like, I, where am I again? I'm, what, what am I doing? And what should, am I, am I Ubering it or is the car picking me up? And am I going to them or they're coming to me? And, and, and I just think this pandemic has helped us recalibrate things that are really important to us and crisis or not, you're not going to be very effective at work trying to lead through a crisis. If the home life isn't stable and you're not going to have a whole, a whole lot of fun at home, if work is a mess. Because we're whole, complete human beings who do not have a different personality in one. We're not, we're not, oh, I am work Celine. And this is the only time that work Celine shows up. Like the, the fact that, that organizations, business, the way we work, whatever you want to call it has glorified that for so long. It's like the, you know, I always say that one of my biggest pet peeves is that idea. There's no crying in baseball, which we basically took and applied to business. You can't have emotions in business because they're not logical and rational. We are humans who have emotion. <laughs> so you don't want to work with people is what you're saying. I'm going to go one step further. Please. A good friend, Peter Bregman is the author of a book called Leading with Emotional Courage. And I love Peter's comment 
when he says, if you don't allow yourself to feel everything, soon you're not going to feel anything. Mm -hmm. So it's not about not feeling that emotion. Not have, if you don't have those, you, you, better, you better get your pulse checked. It's disconnecting your emotions from your decision-making. Mm -hmm. It's disconnecting that I feel angry. I feel overwhelmed. I feel disappointed. I feel those things you better feel. It's just don't send an email when you're <laughs> angry or disappointed or do not, for the love of God, do not tweet when you're disappointed or angry or, right? So what happens is if you don't disconnect that emotion from the decision-making or the problem-solving or your communication or your interaction with others, you're no longer in your control, that emotion is. And that emotion, by the way, bottling it up is also not a good answer because then you're going to blow up at somebody that has nothing to do with what you just, and hopefully it's not the spouse or the kids or anybody for that matter. So the emotions, believe it or not, are part of our species and part of our evolution. And, and, and you're not human if you don't feel. So you should feel anger and disappointment and joy and all those um, range of them. Yep. You just have to, and, and, and the executives that coach, you can quickly ascertain, do most things get under the skin? And then do they knee-jerk reaction respond? Or do they have that professional maturity to say, okay, hold on a second. I'm going to breathe. <laughs> I'm going to take a second to just breathe. And yes, I feel angry. I feel disappointed. I feel let down. I feel like, why didn't I get that promotion? Or why didn't, you know, I didn't get that opportunity? Or why am I not leading that? And all those things are natural. We just got to separate them. And so again, you would love, since you love my other comments, this is another one that I heard years ago that I've used. Don't become permanently stupid because you're temporarily upset. Yes. I feel like I'm going to have so many quotables at the end of this. You know, I'm just a walking Twitter kind of feed sound bites. There you go. Yeah. But, but think of another one, right? It's another great one. Don't 100%. become permanently stupid, right? Quit the job, quit the project, fire somebody, whatever, because you're temporarily upset. Yep. That, yep. that yep. upset, that temporary feeling will pass. Absolutely. And the more you can separate the way you feel with how you speak, how you communicate, how you behave, how you show up, I think is one of those superpowers. I could not agree with you more. We're meant to have feelings or information. All feelings are good. There's no such thing as a bad feeling. How we express those feelings is not always appropriate. And that's really the key, right? Is like, and this goes back to the whole, you know, whole human, not, you know, you're not one person at work, one person at home that you that you were talking about is that, if you are trying to not have feelings at work, if you're trying to bottle things up at work, then that comes out at home and vice versa. You can't, it, you can't separate these things out. It can't, the balance between the two, they're always blended because you are one person. We are all one, you know, we are one person. You know, you know, a, a, a very simple technique that I've found to be really powerful. Yes in middle of this heated and, and crisis, this, this happens all the time. Crisis, just there's a lot of things that are coming at you and everything seems to be important. And you've got seven glass plates that are spinning and you can't drop any of them. And 
believe it or not, I, I'm coaching a lot of people to A, pause and breathe. Just two, uh, and this is, by the way, mathematically proven. If you get away from a problem and revisit it with a fresh lens, fresh perspective, you have dramatically a better chance of solving it. Mm. So I'm actually, and, and the pandemic accelerates some of this, especially those that live in the same town or area that I do. There's a, I live near a park and we go for walking meetings. You would be amazed of just disengaging from that scenario, talking to somebody else through it. Just One of my clients also has uh, their campus is around, uh, it's a man-made lake, but it's a really nice lake. Hmm. And it takes about 45 minutes to walk the whole grounds. And several times I've, I've, I've done several projects for them. And, and several times when I go to the campus, like, okay, let's get out of this stiff office. Let's go for a walk. And we do, we walk around the lake and we just talk and it's just, it, I don't know if it's the oxygen, you know, groceries in, garbage out. I don't know if it's just getting out and moving. I don't know what it is, but it's it it phys- physically changes your perception, your lens, you, clears your thinking, and it's just a really good tool to disengage from scenarios where there's a high tendency you're going to either say something you're going to regret, do something you're going to regret. And just goes back to measure twice, cut once. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting because I feel like in the hybrid way of working that is starting, it's not, this is not a, it's, it's happening. We are in it in Mm. the new way of working. Um, I feel like that the, for those who are not in the same space and hear something like that and who are not comfortable being in the same space that, that. When you hear something like that, it's like, yeah, but that doesn't work because we're not going to be in the same office or we're not going to be in person or we're not, et cetera, et cetera, which is a fair reaction if you have, if you're only hearing the exact words that you're saying. So for some, for people who are in that situation, I'm curious, what are other, you know, what are other ways they can, because I think what you're saying is, by the way, super valuable. I want to acknowledge that, that different lens on a problem, stepping out of it, 100% agree for those who are hearing going, I can't do that in that way, hmm. what could they do? It goes back to something else that philosophically I deeply believe in, which is you're never too old or too young to be a mentor or find a mentor. Hmm. And the best leaders I know surround themselves with this inner circle of people they like, they respect, they trust. If nothing else, Celine, as a, as a sounding board, right? As here's what I'm thinking, what do you think? Almost like call a friend. Right? So, and, and I jokingly say you ideally should have three types, right? Somebody within your department or function who understands what you go through. Somebody within the company that understands the culture. Somebody completely outside of it. And the ability, which goes back to the power of our relationships, right? So particularly if it's people you don't have to impress, I'm not convinced you want to go to your boss with every issue that's bothering you, right? Otherwise, they're going to think they're in a babysitting business. If you develop a diverse portfolio of relationships, I'm, I'm not talking about the garbage contacts and followers and the transactional stuff that were confusing as relationships. I'm talking about few, real, authentic, hopefully value-based relationships you can then, fine, you're not in the same office with those people, great. Call a friend, do you have a minute? 
and I do this all the time. I text people, can we talk for a few minutes? And, and, and by the way, nobody wants to talk for the next three hours, right? Oh, Everybody's God. busy. Yeah. So just there's enormous value in brevity. But if you call that friend and just say, and they don't need the background information. They don't need to know when you were in the third grade, what happened to you, right? So please get to the point. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And just letting somebody who's not as emotionally attached to something. This happened to a, um, it goes without naming name, but a client I'm coaching called me the other night, uh, sends me a text, can we talk? And we actually talked after she put the kids to bed. And she was upset that one of her peers was asked to represent the company at something. And, and it's, it's really more her area of expertise. And, and she was concerned of why am I getting passed over for right, this opportunity? Right. And I said, breathe. And I kind of knew a little more about the, 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 the subject in the area. I said, I know for a fact that, that that environment was scheduled like three months ago, four months ago. It wasn't that somebody, and she just got promoted in this job about a month ago. So the timing, this was planned well before. So it, it pick your fights. This one isn't worth it. This one isn't, right? Now, if it's something based on your values or, or if they're misaligned or right, something you deeply believe in, absolutely stand up for yourself and say something. But pick your fights. And so having someone to walk you off the ledge, right, with whatever you're struggling with is really helpful. So surround yourself right now. As you listen to this podcast, sit down and make a list of who are the three people, who are the five professional relationships you could call that you don't have to impress. Mm. And you could simply say, Celine, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Here's what I'm struggling with. What would you do? Here's a person that I'd like to choke the life out of, but murder is still illegal. So how do I deal with this person? <laughs> right? Having those kind of conversations and getting them off your chest, I think would just go a long way. So I'm going to ask this question because I think this um, gets into a little bit about what your book is about, right? Yeah. Curve Benders. Yeah. Because it's, a, it's and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the, it, a big piece of it is around this idea of, of relationships and strategic relationships unequivocally yes that's been my life's work the last 20 years and uh yeah i i actually put the future of work lens on it which i love um so i am curious how can and this is not a how because listen i'm going to phrase as a how but it's not solve everyone's problems and give everyone a generic answer but when people are thinking about building relationships or curating these strate strategic relationships or really um, what they, the next step of them looks like. What are some of the things that you would advise them to keep an eye out for or to pay attention to or to be aware of? Yep. Because you've created this framework. This is your life's work. Sure. So I think it's important to, uh, let me take a step back. Please, my first please. book for your audience, my first book was called Relationship Economics. And in it, I think I build a, a compelling case that if you nurture that interaction in a, in a logical way, in a, I'm talking about business contacts and you add value and you receive value. So think of a stair step contacts, you invest in them, they become a relationship. If you nurture, sustain, uh, care, feed that relationship over some period of time, a few of those actually become strategic relationships. 
my most recent book, number 10, was called Co-Create, where I said two or more relationships can come together and just like a spouse or children, you know, co-create something that you have a vested interest in its long-term success. That, by the way, neither one of you could do by yourself. So I call curve benders, so relationship economics, co-create, and curve benders, my Star Wars trilogy. Because <laughs> any of them can stand alone by themselves, but you're really going to get to know Luke Skywalker a lot better if you watch episode four, five, and six, right? Sure. So in Curve Benders, I talk a lot about, and, and to come full circle to your question, not every contact is a viable relationship. Not every relationship is a viable strategic relationship. Some relationships are transactional, right? I, I'm not sure I want a relationship with a guy that bags my groceries, right? Nice guy, but not really relevant to me, right? From a professional standpoint, again, and sociologists tell us an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. So which ones? So number one, you have to be more intentional. Two, ideally you're more strategic, right? I talk about why most networking doesn't work because there's no purpose, there's no goal, there's no plan. So have an outcome in mind. And, and this isn't about using people or manipulating people. Have a purpose, have a reason of why do I want to build relationships? Why is this person, you know, why am I of interest to them? Why are they of interest or value to me? And, it's, and it has to be reciprocal, right? When you do invest, when you, they feel that they're better off because you're in their life, because you work together on this project or this initiative, or you're in this team together, they actually look forward to getting your calls and emails and they respond back, Right. So I'm pretty convinced the influencers, the YouTube influencers and Instagram have ruined it for all of us because they somehow equate quantity with quality. So if I have a bazillion, that's a very technical term, by the way, a bazillion followers, mm -hmm. somehow I'm an influencer. I'm knowledgeable about something. What I really want your audience to hear is that almost everybody has a BS radar. And particularly in the post-pandemic world, I would submit fewer, but more real, more authentic, more genuine, more value-based relationships are going to be dramatically more valuable to you. So during this pandemic, whose cell phone numbers did you have versus just their office number? Because nobody was going into the office. Who returned your calls and emails in 24 hours? Who did you prioritize? Who did you neglect? If you think about that, those set of questions, I think it will help you realize most of us have a prioritized list of relationships we believe to be most valuable to us. So how are you nurturing and caring for those? I have two things I want to say. The first is a comment, which is um, I very much appreciate what you said about the YouTubers and the influencers who and their followers, because it's a constant pet peeve of mine that people get hung up on the number of followers they have, or I have this many connections on wherever. So therefore they, that means something, or I'm more likely to have a successful business or be a successful executive or whatever. And it's like, that is, that's a vanity metric. And I use that term on purpose, but it's a vanity metric. 
it's so you can say to someone, Hey, I have this many followers. So you should care about my thoughts because they care. I, it's a big pet peeve. So thank you for bringing that up because it has affected how people see relationships. I think more than the average person is thinking about. So I think that's, that's really important. Um, the second thing, and it's really a question is if someone is interested. So if, if you're thinking on your past year and who you reached out to and who's, you know, been texting or whatever, who you've been in relationship with in conversation with, and you think, you know, there's one person that I really haven't been in contact a lot with, but who I do, I care about them and they're valuable to me. And I conceive value in our relationship growing, even though it's not there yet, Yep. but I don't know how to reach out to them and I don't know sure. what to say and <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I don't want to be that person and blah, blah, you know, how, like, what would you suggest that people step into that? Because I think there's a lot of people at this point in the pandemic who have a similar story in their life. Uh, use me and use this podcast episode as an excuse, right? So I heard these people talk about relationships and it dawned on me, right? I, I've always believed the view is nicer if you take the high road. It <laughs> dawned on me that I've done a terrible job staying in touch with you. So without an agenda, I'm just calling. And for your audience, um, when the pandemic hit, one of the first things I did is I made a list of my top 100 business relationships. And I use this prehistoric device called the telephone where you actually pick it up and you hit these buttons and the person picks up at the other end and you hear their voice and- What? And no, <laughs> shocker, right? And I, I didn't call them to sell them anything. I called them to simply ask, how are you doing? Mm. And what are you seeing? And what are you hearing? And how are you thinking and leading differently when you don't have all the data? And I'm blessed because I have clients in the manufacturing space and I have clients in nonprofits. I have clients in the US and I have clients in Europe and even Asia Pacific. And it was fascinating, especially early on in this pandemic, to get very different lenses and perspectives around the same challenge. And I'm now going back and full circle again, right? Last time we talked was in April before that was in September and I'm coming back, check in. What are your post-pandemic plans? What does your company, industry, your team, your efforts look like? Listen to what I'm, I'm still not selling anything. This has nothing to do with what I do. It has everything to do with how they are better off because we're in a relationship together. So first thing you have to do is be intentional. Make a list. Um, there's an African proverb that says, if you want shade, the best time to have planted a tree was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. The next best opportunity is today. So today, as you're listening to this podcast, make a list. Who And it's a very simple question. Who are your top 30? Who are your top 50? Who are your top 100 business relationships? You know a lot more people than you think you do. Make a list, start at the top and just go down the list. I've done a terrible job staying in touch with you. I'm embarrassed. Would love to just reconnect and get caught up on both sides. How are you doing? How are things going? What have you learned from this pandemic? What will you choose to do differently on the other side of it? Have you been vaccinated? Are you excited or concerned about reconnecting with people? 
By the way, you want better answers? Ask better questions. Convey your credibility to the questions you ask, not necessarily the solutions you provide. And if you are become genuinely interested in them, you'd be amazed of, at some point, they're going to ask, well, have you been? And what are you up to? And what are you doing? And glad you asked. I, my COVID moment was fill in the blank. And, yeah. and it gives you a chance to get and keep your network. And I genuinely believe beyond your educational foundation and your professional pedigree, your portfolio of relationships are your biggest asset. Mm. And it's your only sustainable differentiator, whether you're leading through a crisis or not. It is that which sets us apart from everybody else that can say they do the exact same thing. We, how many attorneys do you know? Right? How many accountants do you know? How many consultants do you know? How many coaches do you know? How many project management professionals do you know? For most of us, what we do could be perceived as a commodity. And it's those relationships that set us apart from our competitive peers. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? 100%. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour and a half. So for our audience, I'll be back again next week with a North tip of the week. (laughs) We're just going to keep, Selena and I will just keep this going. I mean, we're taking taking it on the road, road. right? (laughs) We're taking this on the road. That is the plan. Um, David, Thank you for joining me. You are fascinating. I really, truly do hope to have you back at some point. Um, I really enjoyed this and I, your energy is phenomenal. Very kind of you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm always uh, elated to talk about ideas that I hope will you know, help others, help your listeners. I've captured some of these in the Curve Benders book and I would yeah. encourage your audience if they've gotten value from this, pick up a copy and I'd love my contact info's in there. I'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts on it. Absolutely. And listen, we will have all, we will have links to curve benders in the show notes for anyone who's listening or watching this. Um, but people can find it at all major book retailers, I believe. Absolutely. Amazon, okay, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, on and on and on. In the book. Yes. You can find David anywhere is Just the, Google the name. <laughs> <laughs> David, thank you. I appreciate you so much. And I look forward to doing this again sometime. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today on the Leading Through Crisis podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, you can find us online at www.leadingthroughcrisis.ca.